0: Well, if you were here last week, uh, just recently I finished a consecutive expository series in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Now I'm doing a mini-series entitled, What is the Gospel? began part, did that last week with an introduction, or part one we could say. And today we pick up the second in this series. And our scripture reading comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Again, as you'll see, the point, the major point in this message is brought out here because what Paul is describing here is not fable, it's not. Fiction, it's not amalgamation of a bunch of scattered stories sewn together. It is history. This happened once upon a time, but it's not a fable. It is bedrock reality and cosmic changing in its implications. Hear the word of Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God will always remain. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask now once again, you would bless your word and its content. Lord, today, when we consider the precious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us to see clearly. Do not let us be blinded. Do not let us be confused, Father. Send your Holy Spirit to illumine the truth that we might know it and live by it respond to it as we should and carry it to others even to the ends of the earth in jesus name we pray amen what is the gospel of jesus christ that's the question i started last week with and it's the same one i start with again today and as i said last week you would think that's a pretty easy one it's a no-brainer one we don't have to think about among us christians but unfortunately as i said In our time, there's not only great and general confusion about what the gospel is, there are also many things being called gospels that are counterfeits. They're not the real deal. They may use the word gospel in their title or in the way they're presented, but it's not really the gospel of jesus christ that is being presented they are not true gospels at all let me give you just three quick examples and there are many more whether we're talking about the social gospel does the gospel have social implications absolutely of course but doing good for others and not needing to use words to proclaim the gospel and just doing good deeds is not the gospel Or the prosperity gospel in which you believe that if you have enough faith, you'll get prosperity and blessing from God. Or perhaps the one that is the closest to home for us is what we might call the moralistic gospel. Now, what is that? Essentially, that is a reduction of the gospel to a message of moral self-improvement. In other words, the gospel is when you get better and better at doing it right. You get better and better at following the instructions, walking in the right ways. Now, should that be the fruit of what you do as a gospel believer? Absolutely. We'll talk about that. But that's not the gospel. So many forms of what is passed off as the gospel, even in Bible-believing churches, is not the gospel at all, but it's laced and laden and soaked and saturated with moralism therapeutic notions they're all counterfeits now last week i asked these three questions I asked and answered them why ask the question as i've already said that you think we know this we think it's so common but it's not it's not easily understood and well understood even among bible believing christians And then secondly, we asked the question, what is a gospel? And we went back in history and we looked at the Roman gospel and other gospels and saw that there is this idea of a savior king coming and having great victory and ruling. But it was talking about Augustus Caesar. That was the gospel. But the New Testament writers trumped them. They said, no, we've got a better gospel It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they use the same language. And just like that gospel, that gospel was to be heralded. And that was the third question we asked. What do you do with the gospel? You herald it. Because the gospel is not a method. It's a message. A message to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus told us in the Great Commission. So today, as we continue this little topical mini-series what is the gospel here's what we're going to consider our three-point outline if you like that we're going to look at the complexity of the gospel then we're going to consider the historicity and that's the heart of what we're doing today and thirdly we're going to look at the simplicity of the gospel the complexity the historicity and the simplicity of the gospel all right as to its complexity and we're going to see a little bit later on, at the last, I'm going to point out that in one sense, the gospel really is something very, very simple. That's why it often gets lost. is because it gets conflated with so many other complex things that end up taking away from it or adding to it. But the true gospel is really simple. But in another sense, the gospel is not simple at all. It's complex. It is multifaceted it has more than one layer if you will or facet and so today I want us to think in this point about its complexity to realize that the gospel has more than one aspect the gospel and because it has more than one aspect If we're going to really understand it, we need to keep those aspects, all of them, in mind. The New Testament writers do that. You listen to Paul describing the gospel and you listen to Mark describing, you would think, well, wait a minute, there's some kind of incongruity there. They don't necessarily seem to be talking about the same thing. Well, they're both talking about the gospel, but they're talking about a particular aspect of the gospel and some of its impact and some of what it does. And so the aspects of the gospel, in order to understand it and comprehend the whole, must be held together in tension. Let let me give you a couple examples of how we do that in the Bible and and theologically speaking. Jesus is the God-man, right? He is 100% God, 100% man, not 50-50. He's fully God and fully man. But that's hard to understand. So when you, when you look at a point in time in the Scripture, and in one place you see the humanity of Christ clearly, another place you see Jesus and you see the deity of Christ clearly. But you've got to keep in mind that he's both. You have to hold those in tension. They're not in contradiction. They really give us the full picture of who Jesus really is. Same thing is true of The Trinity. The Trinity, if you're going to truly understand it, you've got to hold some things that are in tension. Because God is one, and yet is many. He's the three in one, the Trinity. Now, you know what? That's a mystery that you and I do not comprehend fully. But if we, if we, if we want to stay orthodox, we've got to hold that he's both the Father and the, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father. And yet they are one. And yet they are three. See, there is another thing that in order to understand God, we have to hold those truths about Him that are revealed in Scripture intention. And what I'm suggesting is you can't understand the reality unless you keep those things in tension together by the way attempts to simplify the trinity oversimplify the trinity you know where they usually end up unorthodoxy which is another way of saying bad serious doctrinal error scriptural error now as that is true what i just said likewise likewise in a similar way You can't understand the gospel fully unless you keep all the aspects together. You've got to look and keep all three of them together. Let me try to help you a little bit here. Consider this concept. The gospel in some ways is like a glass pyramid. Okay? A glass pyramid. Three sides, pyramid, but it's made of glass. And the gospel... In that, as that glass envisioned as a glass pyramid, it is something not only into which you look to see, but it is something through which you look. If you look through one of those three sides, you end up being able to see all other sides also. They're not the same, each side but they're all part of the one and yet you can see through and gain insight and see the others better. That's again how it works with the Trinity. You know, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Take a good look at me and you'll know who the Father really is and what he's like. So today, We're trying to get a better understanding of the whole. And today and the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at three aspects or facets of the true gospel. But we're going to start at bedrock. We're going to start at ground zero. We're going to start where we must, at the historicity of the gospel. This is the center of this message. The historicity of the gospel. The first aspect or feature of the gospel is that it's historical. It really happened. It is the good news. Remember, a gospel we said last week is that proclamation of good news about a victorious Savior King, in this case Jesus Christ, who died and came back to life and has ascended to his throne to reign forever. Do you notice today when we did the creed, the old Roman form of the Apostles' Creed, we said that he, what? Was crucified under who? Pontius Pilate. Why? Because he's a, he's a unicorn? No, he is a real historic figure that lived and reigned and over judea a certain point in time and it was in that reign in that place at a specific point in time in Palestine, that jesus lived his life and died his death and got up from the grave by the power of god and has ascended to his throne you see that happened it happened it's not an idea it's not an ideal to follow So fundamentally, the gospel is news about what Jesus has done. Not what he taught, what he exampled, what he embodied. It's about what he has done. And it's not primarily about how we should then live. Now again, should we ask the question, how should we then, Shaper's question, how should we then live? Absolutely. When you're talking about the gospel and its fruit, that's exactly where you go. But we've got to make sure that we don't get confused at this point. What the gospel is and what it's not. The gospel is what Jesus has done. Now let me give you how important this is. When you think about other religions particularly. You see, historically, it really is an important if the gospel is about good advice remember me telling you last week that it was a that a lot of people think the gospel is good advice martin lloyd jones talked about that but if the gospel is good advice you know his historic details really don't matter i can give clark some good advice and it doesn't matter whether i tell him a story about what i did uh back as a child and if it whether it really didn't happen or did happen i can still give him good advice right clark Hopefully. But that's not true here. However, Christian history, Christianity is history. And it's ultimately important that it is historical. Because it's a message about things that were done by Jesus in space and time history. And if they weren't done by Jesus in space and time history, then you and I are wasting our time let's just get up right now let's march out in unison and go find something fun to do because none of the rest of it matters you see it's grounded in history listen to this um it's not really a quote but it's a collection of things i've gathered uh uh, from uh, tim keller uh on on the gospel being rooted in history listen listen to some great insights Many founders of some of the world's great religions are purported to have done miracles. I don't know if you know that. they, have, Or at least they're purported to have done miracles. But in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. Why? Because you're not saved by what they did, but by following their advice. In their system, you're going to be helped by following their advice. Keep the five pillars of Islam, for instance. With Muhammad. He was supposed to have been able to do miracles, supposedly. But in the end, your salvation doesn't come about as a result of what they did, but of what you do. It's based on the advice you follow. You see? It's based on the advice you follow, not whether they did. Anything, historical or not, whether miracles happened or not. But, Keller says, Christianity proclaims a gospel of the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. And your salvation is not dependent on what you do, but upon what he did. Past tense. Historically rooted reality. you see the new testament gospel writers and the apostles they either explicitly or implicitly they either checked down the went down the checklist of the things in the gospel and the events of the gospel and the gospel events or they took for granted that you already got that one and they give you the rest one way or the other explicitly or implicitly he lived he died he rose again he ascended One of those places is what we read in our scripture reading. Did you hear that historical detail? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. And you know there are others. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5 or 6. Acts 3, 18 through 19. Acts 10, 39 through 43. And Acts 13, 38 through 39. You got Peter, you got Paul, you got all these writers, gospel writers. And they're telling you the same set of historical facts that happened in sequence in space and time. These things are historical events accomplished by Christ. And that is what is at the epicenter of the gospel. It is that grounded and rooted in that bedrock reality. And if that did not happen in space and time history, Paul says we're all fools for being here. I'm a fool for talking about it, and you're a fool for even bothering to listen. You see, in this sense, Jesus Himself is the gospel, isn't He? In this sense, I'm talking about Jesus Himself is the gospel. Because you're not saved by the teaching of Jesus, but by Jesus Himself. Do you see the difference? You're not saved because you listened to his teaching and tried to follow his example. You're saved by what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection and ascension. You see, in every religion, you're saved by the teaching of the founder if you follow it. But in Christianity, you're saved by the founder himself because of what he and he alone did. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, of course, Joe. No, I'm not not buying that. I I have seen and and I've heard this preach and I've done it and I still get glazed over looks. People try to give their testimony. What is the gospel? They get glazed over looks. They get confused. Things that are parts and responses and reactions to, but not the gospel. Now I said... Therefore, the gospel in one sense is complex. It certainly is historical. The true gospel is. But in one sense, it's also simple. In one sense, the gospel is quite simple. But it's profoundly counterintuitive. That's why it's hard to grasp. That's why so many people, even born-again believers, that are going to be with Jesus, I have no doubt, but they still can't articulate the gospel. They can't understand and they don't realize. They get it confused with other things and it gets bled in upon because it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It seems to us it ought to be the other way. We understand negotiated relationships doing our part. You do your part. We get that naturally. The gospel is not due. It's done. But here's how it really is simple. If you keep all the other extraneous things aside, many people today think the gospel is something you live. You ever heard that? I'm trying to live the gospel. Now, we, we, we should, in good, in good language, is to say, should we want to live in line with the gospel, consistent with, based off of what the gospel gives us and empowers us with? After all, it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first, and also the Greek we looked at last week. So do we want to live in line with the gospel? Absolutely. But the gospel is not something you live out. It was lived out. And accomplished by Christ. It's not something you live, something you do. And therefore, for us, that makes sense. We're a can-do culture. We're Americans. We believe in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Do it. Get it done. We're Nike people. We understand For instance, the Great Commission. And what does the Great Commission say? We are to go, we are to do. Now, that is true. The Great Commission is a set of instructions that say, go and carry this gospel to the ends of the earth. And that Great Commission is a task given us to do by Jesus Christ. But, but, but. So important here. If we confuse the message with the messenger, if we confuse the message with the messenger, then our personal failure becomes a failure of the gospel. You see, if the gospel is how well I do, how well I live it, how well I perform it, and I fail, the gospel may be in jeopardy. But if that's not the gospel at all, it has nothing to do with what Joe does or how well I do it, it has everything to do with how well Christ did it. Then I can go all to the world and I can preach the gospel and fear not that the gospel is going to fail because of me. How many times have you gotten wrapped around the axle trying to witness to somebody and you know you totally blew it? You know you totally blew it. You couldn't have done worse. And you feel so bad, you want to crawl under a rock somewhere. But when you understand what the gospel really is, all you need to do is tell them that truth and call them to respond to it. And nothing else matters. Your eloquence, all that see, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and what he did. And that's all you have to share with them in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what Michael Horton says in his book. Um, I think it's the Uh, He says, Christ has already accomplished redemption. The gospel is not a plan for us to execute. It's not an ideal toward which we strive. We are not extensions of the incarnation. And our work is not redemptive. Did you know that? Your work is not redemptive. Now, you can be helpful. You can pray that God will will redeem something that you said or used in their life and make, make it effective, but it's not redemptive. Jesus has conquered sin, death and hell and he calls us as his ambassadors to announce the good news to the world as a part of the Great Commission. See that's what the Great Commission, that's a do thing but the gospel's not a do thing, it's a done thing. You see the gospel is simple because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about us and what we do. It's about Jesus and what he did and what he will do for those who believe and trust in him. We must never forget that the gospel is not. You do, the gospel is Jesus did. You do, no, Jesus did That's the heart of the gospel. Now, by the way, let me tell you something very important. This this is also especially for you, Clay, um, young men and and young women, as you're trying to share your faith and learn how how to be discipled in the scriptures and how to share your faith with others in which, you know, I think that's that's a, God bless you for that effort. But let me tell you something that's likely to happen. Because there is such confusion about what I'm talking about today, As clear as I'm trying to make it, there's still a bog out there. And if you share the gospel with someone, if you tell the gospel to someone, I can almost guarantee you, even though you may do it and do it well, and you may be clear as a bell, they will likely hear you through a moralistic grid. They will think, even though you use the true language of the gospel because we are so conditioned in our fallenness, and our humanness, and in our culture. They will think that you are inviting them to come join you in the Come With Me and Be Better Club at First Pres or wherever. That's what they think you are inviting them into. And though you're inviting them to come and have their sins washed away by what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and rose again for our justification. Oh, that's true. But they hear you saying, okay, I want you to if, you're going to, if you want to be a Christian, you're going to have to tighten up, you're going to have to fly right, you're going to have to get it right, and make sure you get it right in the right order. That's what they're going to hear. So don't be discouraged when that happens, okay? Try to keep it coming back to Jesus. Try to keep it focused on Christ. It's about Him. It's not about you and it's not about me. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. I rest my whole eternity. That's the cry of the heart that understands the gospel. Here it is, simple and sweet, the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you should have died, or excuse me, he came and lived the life that you should have lived and he died the death that you should have died as your substitute. So God can receive you not for your sake, but based on the record and the accomplishments and the doings of Jesus Christ and for his sake. That is the gospel at its heart. Fundamentally, And it's based on what he did, not what you or I can ever do. But, but, then there is something to do. There is a response that the gospel always demands and calls for. Do you know that those ancient gospels did that too? Even the ancient gospels, the ones of Julius Caesar and and of Augustus Caesar, and those gospels, when the evangel, the the Greek word for gospel, when the evangel or the gospel was news that a great historical event, such as a victory or a war or the ascension of a new king, when that happened, when it was proclaimed, what was proclaimed to them is a change of the way things are going to operate from here on. In other words, it was a proclamation that nothing is the same anymore. You got by, you got slack, no more. This is the way it works now. And if you want to experience salvation, if you want to experience health, if you want to experience goodness, then respond to this gospel. It wasn't just telling, it expected the hearers to respond. And that is true of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. Do you understand that? The gospel is not something you can sit and say, hmm, interesting gospel, interesting facts. Hmm, well, okay, it says it's done, but then I don't need to do anything. No, no, no. The gospel and its accomplishments are done. It's been finished. And it's available only by faith and repentance, though. There must be that response. There must be a response There is something required from the hearer and the gospel of Jesus Christ calls upon us to receive it, to believe it, to trust in the one who did it. And then comes the blessing that which the gospel promises. It's fruit. My friends, I hope you understand. Is this the gospel you believe today? Is this the gospel you've responded to? And put your trust in. Don't put it in any other because there is no other. All the rest are counterfeits. This and this alone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help my friends today, wherever they may be here in this assembly, listening online. However, far from now, do not let them be confused as to what the gospel is. And fathers, we talk about its the different dimensions and aspects of it. Let us not fail to ever lose sight of this core reality, the simplicity of what has been done by you. And the only way we can get home is by putting our faith and trust in the doer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the accomplisher, the one who said it is finished. May that be the heart cry of everyone here. And if it's not, Lord, bring them to that faith and repentance. That they too will share in what the King and Savior has promised for those who believe his gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.